Amen. So Matthew chapter number five, we're going to be beginning in verse number 21. And, and what we're going to be looking at in this verse 21, <clears throat> we're seeing, uh, if you were here last week, we talked about the priesthood of Melchizedek. We talked about how Jesus has been given a new priesthood, amen, or he brought it in. He is the high priest of the new covenant. That's why uh, you, you're reading in, you should have at the first of Matthew 1, 1, the New Testament. Now, the New Testament did not kick in until his blood was shed. How many of y'all remember the Last Supper, right? The Last Supper, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, right? He said, this cup, right, is the blood of the New Testament. And he said, remember me. So one of the things that we see is that when he, when his blood was shed, he was bringing in a new covenant or a new testament. And there's no longer a Levitical priesthood, but now there's the, the order of Melchizedek. He is the high priest. He is our high priest. And the important thing about that, it says in Hebrews that with the changing of the priesthood, there's also of necessity a changing of what? The law. There's a change of the law. So one of the things that you're going to see in this passage especially is how the law is brought up to a new level. So one of the things that, that this, what we're going to get into is one of the greatest teachings that Jesus has. If you want to look at a hallmark teaching other than born again, this is going to be one of them. This is going to be one of those teachings that he gets into that really is revolutionary, especially in the mindset of the Jewish person that was hearing it. So let's begin in verse number 21, and we're going to attempt to go through verse 30, but I doubt that we'll make it all the way tonight, but Lord willing, we'll have another time. All right. So verse number 21, the Lord said, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, before we go on, Jesus is saying, you've heard of them of old time. And so you're talking about people in the past. They said, you shouldn't kill. How many of you know that that's still law today? How many of y'all know where he, what he was referencing to? He was referencing what? The Ten Commandments. This comes exactly from Exodus chapter number 20. This comes from the Ten Commandments. And so he's saying, you heard from the past, you shouldn't kill. Now, that's the old. This is the Levitical law. And now we remember that Jesus is the Melchizedek law. And so he's going to bring things to a higher level. That, that's what it just transcends the Old Testament law. Now, look what he says in verse number 22. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. So we're going to stop right there and begin to unpack this. And what, what you see is that the Lord said the person in danger in the old was someone who killed that if you kill, you're in danger of judgment, right? But now he's saying, if you say thou fool, you're in danger of judgment. Notice there's three different escalations that take place in there. You see that? One of them, uh, he says that if you are angry with your brother without a cause, you're in danger of judgment. 
If you say uh, Raka, you're in danger of the council. And then if you say thou fool, you're in danger of hell fire. So there's three different, there's three different punishments for those. Now let's look at those and, and see exactly what he means. Now, how many of you know that he made this cause? He said, if you're angry without a cause, that that's important. Because there are times that you can be righteously angry. There are times that you should be angry. In fact, you should be angry when somebody transgresses against God. You should be angry when somebody curses God. You should be angry when you, you should be angry at sin. Those are righteous in what the Bible calls righteous indignation. This is whenever uh, you see Jesus go into the temple and he turned over the money changers. Do you think that he went in there and he said, excuse me, <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to ruin your day and ruin your livelihood, sorry. No, he didn't do like that, right? He, he, the Bible says he did it and they remembered because the Bible said that he, his, the zeal of the Lord he was consumed with. He was consumed with the zeal of the Lord. That means he was angry that they were defiling the temple of God and he was doing something about it. But he, he makes a, a caveat here. He says, don't be angry with your brother without cause. Now, what is that implying? That means that you're, you're going out and eyeing somebody and plotting and planning their demise. It, it, you're going in, in, instead of being angry because they did something to you, you're angry at them and trying to bring them down. This, this is where you venture into hatred. This is whenever you venture into, I, I just don't like them. I hope that they stumble. I hope that they fall. I hope they trip on their way out the door. And I hope, you know, this, this, this. How does it feel to fall down? You know, those kinds of attitudes that we have with people. It's being angry without a cause. So that, that caveat makes a big difference because how many of y'all remember over in Ephesians chapter number four, the apostle Paul wrote and he said, be angry and what? Sin not. Be angry and sin not. So it's possible to be angry and not sin, but then it's also possible to get angry and your flesh get enticed in it. Amen. And then you just kind of carry that over and become boiled over with anger. So that's whenever you take things too far. So the, the caveat here is, is not being angry without a cause. So, so the level that the Lord is taking this to is he said, you at one time were talking about not murdering, not killing. But now I'm telling you, you better watch out when you're angry. When you're angry, you, the red lights should start flashing in your life so that you make sure that you're not angry for the wrong reason. If you're angry, you better make sure that you're handling it or proceeding correctly. Because one of the things, uh, one, you know, if you go to, you listen to us uh, very much, y'all know I love to talk about Leonard Ravenhill, and I'll throw in a quote, but it, this was just such a good one that I love it. But he said, it, it, you know, if your enemy has a social security number, you picked the wrong enemy, right? Because our war is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual war that we're in. And we have to remember that sometimes that it's not the other person that's our enemy. The other person is a soul that Christ died for. And so sometimes we can get so consumed, especially when you talk about politics. We were just talking about politics a while ago, but you start talking about politics and somebody's going to come unwound on you, especially in our era. Somebody's going to come uncorked. 
when you start talking about politics. But it's, uh, it's good to remember that they are souls that Jesus died for and that they're not your enemy. You should pray for, if they're not right, pray for them. Amen? Pray for them. Don't pray on them. <laughs> Don't hope that they stumble and fall. Don't trip them. Don't push them down. Pray for them, not on them. This is, you remember uh, John and his brother, they said, Lord, you know, can we pray and bring down that lightning on that town that rejected Christ? He said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. You're, you're of the wrong spirit. And you know, that's sometimes how we are. When people don't do what we think they should do, when people don't act the way we think they should act, when people don't treat us the way that they should treat us. How many of y'all ever been mistreated? Come on. It's not fun when you get mistreated. It's not fun when you get neglected. It's not fun when you get overlooked. It's not fun when you get done wrong. And when you get done wrong and you can't do nothing about it, you're in danger. That's what he's, you're in danger. You're in danger. You have to handle that anger properly. You have to use it, amen, for God's glory. And you have to make sure that it's, that it's not taking your flesh to a place that it should never go. Your flesh should never go to a place where you hope somebody is destroyed. See, that's what murder actually is. That's what killing actually is. Now, we're not talking about self-defense. All throughout the Levitical law, there's so many caveats for self-defense. So many caveats. We're talking about murder. We're talking about, you know, you, oh, you, you didn't bring back my shovel? I'm going to get you. We're talking about that kind of thing. And so the Lord here is, is taking this Old Testament Levitical law about not killing, and he's bringing it up to this place where he's saying, when you get angry, you better watch out. We, in the Old Testament, they said, if you kill, you better watch out. You might have to run to a, a sanctuary city. But now, if you even get angry, you're in danger. We don't listen to that. We don't listen to that at all. We just think, well, I'm not going to murder anybody. I'm not going to murder anybody. Well, you may or may not. You don't know. If you, if you allow your flesh to just run wild, you don't know what you're capable of once you get in the flesh. So here's, here's the thing. Now, and listen, let me throw this caveat in. You remember Jeremiah chapter 6, right? You're, how, how many of y'all remember that it's that old path that we're supposed to walk on? Well, one of the things about that old path that we're supposed to walk on is to remember that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Your heart will lie to you. Your heart will tell you that you're just fine when it's not. Amen? And one of the things that we'll do is we will say other people are worse than us. But the, the, the problem with that logic is we're all, we're all people. We all have flesh. Until the day that your flesh body gets put down in the grave, you're going to be battling your flesh. Galatians chapter 5, the flesh and the spirit, they're at what? War. They're at enmity with one another. But the awesome thing is if you'll walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the awesome thing. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So if you'll begin to walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But as long as you live in the flesh, you're going to battle those temptations. That's why you've got to have that, the armor of God. 
That's why you've got to have the shield of faith. That's why you've got to remember the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pull down strongholds and principalities. You've got to operate in that spirit realm, amen, because that's where battles are won or lost. When you begin to fight in the flesh, you've lost. You've lost. And, and this is what he's kicking into. He's saying he, there's a spiritual component to this. You see, the, the letter of the law is what Israel was trying to follow. They were not following the spirit of it. When you look at even laws like the Sabbath, right? The fourth commandment. When you look at the laws like this, we're trying to follow the letter of the law so we carve out caveats. The letter of the law, what is it? Remember the Sabbath. That's it. But yet, for the letter of the law, they make all kinds of rules and regulations when the big one was just remember it. So you can only go so many steps. But if you really want to go somewhere, you can just put a little bag of food under a tree, right? As long as it's within those amount of steps. And however, if you wanted to go somewhere, you could make provision. So what are they doing? They're going, they're skirting around the spirit of the law and only doing the letter of it. How many of you ever have kids and you give them like some rules? You all know kids bend the rules, right? Well, you said I didn't. You, you tell your kid if you clean your room, then you can have this, right? And they said, well, you didn't say I couldn't if I didn't do this. I mean, they're always trying to bend the letter of the law, right? Seeing how much can I push it? But it's like they're not fulfilling the heart of it, the spirit of it. Well, that's what the Lord Jesus was, was showing them. He's saying, you know what, guys? You are, you are not fulfilling the spirit of the law. See, the, the spirit of it is, if the, if the Bible says, don't kill someone, you should automatically say, well, once I start not liking somebody, I better watch out. Because Lord knows what I'm capable of if I get mad. Lord knows what I'm, you know, if I'm having a bad day or they're having a bad day or they say the wrong thing or I say the wrong thing. So whenever I'm, whenever I'm around someone and I'm not liking them, I better watch out. But that was too hard for them. See, they were, they were operating in the flesh. So the Lord brings it up to the spiritual place. He says, look, if you're angry with someone without cause, you better watch out. You better watch out. The anger without cause. Now, uh, being angry without cause, it's, it, it is um, when you're feeling injured. That's what it means to be angry. It's whenever you feel like somebody's done you wrong. Yes. Amen. The, the, the inner intention that leads to murder. That's exactly right. Let me show you something in 1 John chapter number 3. If you have your, just keep your finger there in, in, in Matthew, but turn over to 1 John chapter number 3, and let's look at verse number 15. Well, let's, let's begin with verse number 14. So here, you're, you're going to see that the Lord is beginning to kind of take the law into this new spiritual kind of a place. And, and so 1 John 3, 14, 1 John 3, 14, 
He said, we know that we have passed from death unto life. How many of y'all know he's talking about spiritual death and spiritual life? So we've passed from death to life. Ephesians chapter uh, number two says that uh, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Okay, so this is talking about you know that you've been born again. Okay, we know that we've been, we passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. One of the, one of the hallmarks about a believer is that they have a love for the church. You just, you bond with them. How many of you have ever been in those circumstances where you didn't know somebody, but you just kind of felt like, man, I, I feel like I've got a connection with them and come to find out they're a Christian too. You know, I, I, I can tell so many stories about that. I remember one time I was working in New Orleans and doing construction work, and my boss said, we've got a new guy coming from, um, I think it was from Kansas, and he said, I want you to set him up with an apartment and do this and do that. We talked on the phone. I, I knew from the minute I heard his voice that he was a Christian. I just knew it, and he was, and we hit it off, and we had a great time together. We did Bible studies, all kinds of stuff. But you, even though you're miles apart, right, you have a connection. It, it, it defies culture. It defies nationalities. It defies skin color. It defines political party. It defies every division that the world puts on us. Because in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female, barbarian or Scythian. All are one in Christ. That's the beautiful thing about the Lord's church is that no matter where you are or where you're from or what your background is or, you know, maybe you have a worse past than somebody else, but you know what? We've all been blood-bought and washed in his blood. So we're all on equal ground. We all have to make that trip to the cross and let go of self and yield to his lordship. And, and when we do, we become brothers and sisters. So he says, you know, you know that you're born again or you know you've passed from death to life when you have this love. Now look what the, the next part. And anytime you go through 1 John, he's always like this. He's always like, um, here's the good part and here's the bad part. You walk in, you walk in the light, you're of God. You walk in darkness, you're not. You do this, you're a liar. You do that. So look what he says in verse number 15. He says, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, how many of us, how many of us heed that verse? Amen. You know, you know how many, how many problems in churches that that verse could alleviate? How many of y'all ever been, oh, I know y'all don't do that. I know y'all don't act like this. But how many of y'all ever been in those churches where somebody's like, that, who, do, who does, you know, Susie Q just think she is? I'm, she just needs to come down a peg or two. She got her nose way up in the, you know, what do you do? And you're starting to eye them. You're starting to get angry with them. And if you don't watch out, you're going to start hating them. You're going to start plotting their demise, right? That's why I'm saying your flesh is dangerous, you have to buffet your flesh. You have to walk in the spirit of God. If you're not walking in the spirit of God, your flesh is going to rise up and cause you to do things that you don't want to do and you know you shouldn't do. But notice what it says, how dangerous. This is not just a, uh, you know, hey, if you want to be a super Christian, make sure you don't hate somebody. It's not a, this is not how to be a super Christian. Amen. This is not how to get the A plus star. 
This is not how to get a new badge on your Christian ledger, you know. This is not how to be a superstar in the kingdom of God. This is how to be a believer. You cannot hate one another. You cannot. You cannot. Look what it says. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's a lot different than self-defense. That's a lot different than that. That is cold-blooded murder. And so this is the same area. This is, the, this is worded different, but it's the same thing as what the Lord says over here in Matthew 5. You hate someone, you're a murderer. Wow, that's powerful. And then it's not only that, but look, look, at, the, look at the return. It doesn't have eternal life. That is dangerous ground. And so what is, what, what do, whenever we read that, we, all, we should have one of two, uh, you should have one of two responses to reading that, okay? It, well, you could have three. You could be zoned out thinking about the ball game or whatever. You could have that response. You'd just be like, what's he saying? Then you should have one of two main responses. Number one, there's, there's either going to be condemnation or conviction involved. The way that you know that the devil's working on you is when you have condemnation. Condemnation says, I knew I was a failure. Condemnation says, see, I'm never going to make it. That's the voice of the devil. Shine a little flashlight on him. He don't like it. So that's his voice. It's condemnation. It's to push you away from the cross, to push you away from God's people, to push you away from the light. Amen. How many of y'all ever heard that light is a disinfectant? Right? Isn't it? But you know what conviction is? Conviction is when the Holy Spirit compels you to come back to Jesus. Conviction says, see, you need him. You need, you need a closer walk with the Lord. You need to watch out. You need to be strengthened by the Spirit. That's what conviction, conviction compels you to come to the cross to get right and to stay right and to stay full of God's spirit. Condemnation says you messed up, you know you messed up, you're never going to make it. So what do we do? If you hear condemnation, you just say, I reject that voice in the name of Jesus Christ because I know that's not from God. God does not condemn. God is not willing that any of us should perish. God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. God wants to save everyone. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but what? That all, all should be saved. All should be saved. That's God's desire. God wants you to come to the cross. When, when we're suffering, when we're messing up, God wants us to come and get, get it right. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. Whenever uh, God's working on somebody's life, I love seeing people go to the altar. I love it. I love it. I remember years, years of my life spent at an altar. Every time I would be praying sometimes, Lord, please let that preacher open up the altar. You know, praying, Lord, please. And then if they didn't, you know what I would do? I would go home and make an altar at my house. 
I was times I would be like, man, the pastor, they haven't done communion in a while. We will do communion at home, just me and the Lord. But you need those times where you go to him and, and you know what? You might have to go day after day, maybe multiple times a day, but you've got to do what you've got to do. Amen. And the Lord is always compelling us to come and get right. Come and be cleansed. Come and be made whole. That's the spirit of the Lord. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you who are what? Weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you what? He didn't say, I'll push you away. He didn't say, I'll, I'm tired of you. He didn't say, now, you already came one time this month. He didn't say, you've been twice this year. He didn't even say, you done messed up three times today. You know what's amazing? I always say this. If God asks you to do something, he's never going to ask you to do something that he's not going to do. If he asks you to do something, for instance, forgiveness. What did, whenever Jesus said that you should forgive, right? Remember what Peter said? How many times should we forgive? How many times should we forgive? And what did Jesus say? Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot, isn't it? Wow. And, and, and then, yeah, we keep ourselves back from God. When we should continually go to him. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Amen. That's what God desires in our, in our lives because, it, it, you know, like I said, your flesh is, is going to bend to this way, but it's the Spirit of God that will keep you on the path that the Lord has, has for you. So here, I just wanted to show you how the Lord looks at hate. wanted to show you that. It, we're in a, a dangerous place, and he says that. We're in a dangerous place whenever we begin to allow anger or hatred to reside in our hearts. You, what you're doing when, when you are doing that, you are taking a place that you shouldn't. What you're doing is you're setting your eye on a person's flesh and plotting their demise. When God has called you to love one another, God's called you to lay down your life for one another. See, if we got our eye on somebody and we're hoping and praying that they fall, right? That's where anger kicks in. Unrighteous anger. Let me specify that. Unrighteous anger or hatred begins to develop. You've set your eye on them. Instead of desiring that they get right with God, you're desiring that they fail and get hurt. There's a big difference. There's a big difference, and that's what the Lord is highlighting right here. And you might say, yeah, but what about so-and-so? I mean, they did me wrong. You know what? You remember what the Lord said in, in, when he taught the disciples how to pray? They came to him. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But they came to Jesus, and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And part of it, he said, what? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. You mean if I want forgiveness from you, I've got to be willing to extend forgiveness to others? First step to healing. First step to healing. You can't hold on to that bitter pill and expect forgiveness from God. You're, you're going to be fighting this internal struggle the whole time. You've got to get to that point where you, where you release it. You've got to get to that point. You know what? God even says, don't take vengeance in your own hands. 
He said, vengeance belongs to him. And when you begin to say, well, they did me wrong, so I'm just going to make sure they eat a little bit of dirt so that they know how bad they did me. You know what you're doing? You're taking the vengeance that belongs to God and you're taking it in your own hands and you are beginning to do what God is supposed to do. But what does God tell us to do? Well, we had a saying back when, you know, my mom would always say, kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. What are you supposed to do? Love your enemies. That's right. Be good to those that, that do you wrong. Be good to them. Love on them. Pray for them. Pray for them. And forgive is the first step. So everybody, everybody has somebody in their life that's done them wrong. And that's where that dangerous place begins to set in because you might say, well, you know, they told me they were going to be there for me. Not only were they not there for me, not only did they fail me in that way, but then they stabbed me in the back. Right? Then they did this. Then they did that. That's when you're in danger. That's when you've really got to take heed to this and say, you know what, though? They trespassed against me, but I can't hold on to it. I can't hold on to it. No, I can't hold on to it and expect God to let go of my trespasses. Not according to the Lord's prayer. Not according to the Lord's prayer. If I'm going to hold on and believe, Lord, forgive me my trespasses. And you know what? You can take a scalpel and cut the rest of the verse off, but it still don't make it true. You've got to add the end of it. His word is forever settled in heaven and in earth. So you want God's forgiveness, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. You got to hold on to that point. Oh, Lord, help us, right? Lord, help us. Because when people do us wrong, we want to grab them by the throat. Amen? And you might say, brother, word, I mean, come. well, when you get done wrong, maybe you hadn't been done wrong before. Or maybe it's been so long you forgot. Maybe you're so sanctified you forgot what it's like to be done wrong. But there are some folks that get done wrong and it hurts. It hurts bad, especially when, when it's someone that you loved or trusted. When it's somebody that's family or someone that you loved or trusted, then it really, it really hurts. And that's when you've really got to trust God's word and say, God, I really want to hope that they fail, but I've got to let it go for my own sanctification, for my own growth in you, Lord. I've got to let it go. And you know what? You can't, you can't do that on your own, but you've got to be willing to let it go. If you're willing to let it go and ask the Lord for help, he will give you grace and he will empower you by his spirit. But if you're not willing to let it go, you're going to have a hard time with it. It's going to eat your lunch, basically. There's a lot of people that are walking around with those grudges, you see, a, a, a grudge is when somebody's done you wrong, but you haven't let it go yet. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this, you know, I'm not saying that when somebody does you wrong, you should keep letting them do you wrong. I am not saying that at all. If you're in a bad situation, you know, that's a totally different enchilada. But we're talking about holding on to grudges, holding on to those trespasses, and becoming angry and hateful against someone. Okay, so important, important distinction that we see here in that the Lord looks at it as murder. First John 3, 15, amen? 
Okay, let's go back over to, to uh, Matthew chapter number five. Does anybody want to add to that before you? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you victory on it, huh? Yeah. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Amen. 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 That's a very good point. Did you? Yes. Yeah, that's a very good distinction. You walk down that road, it is possible to get that forgiveness, but you can't continue going down that road. Amen. That's the nature of repentance, isn't it? That's the nature of repentance. Well, one of, one of the things I wanted to point out is once you begin to do that, you know what you're focusing on? You, you once, if somebody does you wrong and you begin to get angry and you begin to hate them, you know what you've begun to focus on? The, the enemy's done a sleight of hands on you. What you begin to focus on is not the sin, but the sinner. You begin to focus on the sinner and not the sin. And, and, and that's one of the enemy's oldest tactics is to get you to focus on people. Oh, if they just wouldn't, if they just wouldn't, if they just wouldn't, you know, if they would get out of my way, you, you wouldn't believe some of the things that happens in churches, right? If, if sister so-and-so would just, you know, stop doing that, I could start teaching this or doing this or doing that, you know, run them down to the pastor, run them down to the deacons and do this and do that. And, and all this because they've, what they've done is they've taken their eyes off of the issue and they've put them on the person. And we've never called to do that. So, you know, we're, we're supposed to uh, pray for those people, not, not pray on them. P R E Y, not pray on them. Yeah, it's not always taking our eyes off the issue and put them on a purpose on the person. But the main thing is just taking our focus off the Jesus. That's right. That's right. Amen. Amen. See, it's 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 amazing how the enemy can get us off track. You can be going, zipping along, and then the enemy use somebody doing you wrong to get you totally off track. And you just bum 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 bum. The awesome thing is, is you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? I did wrong. I did wrong. That happens, you know, along the front line. That's 
<laughs> you preaching now. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Amen. What a great example of Joseph's life. What a great example. How wrong did he get done? I mean, you talk about my family don't call me or they, they borrowed $20 for the last time. His family sold him into slavery. I mean, that's a deep hurt. There, you know, I always say there's, there's, there's no pain like or no hurt like church hurt because you're around people that you trust. But it's the same way with family. You see a family go into business together and, and it go bad, it goes bad. You see family go into a, an agreement together and it goes bad, it goes really bad. And, and look at Joseph's life. And yet he didn't hold on to the bitterness. Amazing testimony. When he had the opportunity to, to I mean, put them down, he didn't. He didn't. And so, yeah, that's a great example right there. What the, what the enemy meant for, for evil, God turned for good. And so you can use situations the same way. I mean, Joseph is a man just like us. You, whenever somebody does you wrong, you could go to that person and say, hey, the enemy meant for what you did to me to turn for bad, but we're going to make it good, right? We're going to make it good. So anyways, um, Back over here in Matthew chapter 5, let's continue in verse number 22. So it says that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, I don't want to get too too focused on on the differences between those two but let me just say that uh the raka is whenever you're saying that they're empty or worthless it was a, it was an empty sacrifice the raka it, and, and and so when, when you're saying that you're saying that they're nothing that they are nothing what you know what that is is tearing somebody down with your words so you may not you may not uh pick up a knife and put it in their back, but you might use words to cut them up. And how many of you know that the Lord, he said that we're going to give an account for every idle word. And that's what this word raka means is it's idle. It's nothing. It's vain, worthless of no value. And so that's when you're saying you're of no value to somebody. You're worthless. What are you doing? I mean, you are carving them up with your words. And the, the second one, he said, thou fool, thou fool. You're in danger of hellfire. So how many of you ever called somebody a fool before? See, we probably, we probably all got to get in on that. And he said, there's a danger there because when you say it in the wrong spirit and you say it like that, you're using it to, to cut someone down. You, you've really got to watch out because you're in danger in danger those those flashing lights should be kicking in so notice i just want to bring this into perspective because the whole levitical law system was you can be mad at them just don't kill them you can tear them down with your words you can you know plot against them you can go in front of them and make sure nobody that they run across likes them anymore. You can do all that kind of stuff. Just don't murder them. That was Levitical law. 
You're going to see the same thing with adultery. It's the very same thing once we get into adultery. But the Lord takes it from the Levitical law system and he brings it up to the spiritual level. That's why he's that's why he's God in the flesh. He brings he brings, you know, this Levitical law to the place where it was always supposed to be. A place where no man can say that they fulfill it. Cuz you might not have ever murdered somebody. Lord, we hope so, right? You might not have ever murdered somebody, but you've probably been angry with somebody without cause. You you, you might have used your words to tear somebody down. You might not have used Raka, but you might have said, you know, you're sorry or something like that. You, you might have called somebody a fool. You might have torn them apart with your words. Uh, you know, as we say, uh, murmured against them or, or backbite against them or, you know, Lord forbid we gossip against them, something like that. But those are the things that the enemy uses to get us off track because we're focusing on the sinner and not the sin. We're not lifting them up to the Lord. We're not praying for our enemies. We're not praying for those that hurt us. We're not praying for those that use us. We're not loving our enemies, but we're seeking their demise. We're beginning to operate in the flesh instead of in the spirit. We're not lifting them up to God. We're tearing them down in front of God, making sure that they're of no value anymore. God never told us to do that. And so that's why he said, you know, you, you say Raka in the council there, the councils, whenever you bring them in front of the Sanhedrin, whenever you bring them in front of those Jewish leaders in the hell, and now Jesus preached about hell more than anybody in the Bible. So if anybody ever tells you, you know, well, I don't know about hell, just say, well, just stick with the words of Jesus because he preached on hell more than anybody. But the hellfire he's talking about there is, you know, um, there was the Valley of, H- of Hinnom. That's where, if you remember back in the Old Testament before Jeremiah and, and all of the children of, of Israel were taken into captivity, they had a valley there in, in Hinnom. And in that valley, they had a statue to Molech. And what they did is they would burn. They would burn it, and they would offer children there to Molech. He had, a, he had arms outstretched, and they would burn that thing so hot that the metal would get real hot, and they would... they would place a child on those arms and the child would roll into that statue and burn alive. And they said that the screams of those children were so loud that they would beat drums and have dancing parties so that it would drown out all the shrieking and the crying out. This is the, this is the God of Molech. This is why a lot of people um, equate the abortion that's going on in our nation to sacrificing babies to Molech. It's just a different way of doing it. But, but it, you know, child sacrifice has always been one of those things that Satan has used. It's just one of those things he's always used. That's why children go missing all the time. It's either for sexual exploitation or for child sacrifices. Sad reality, we're coming up on that time. But um, from now till the end of October, the, uh, the um, abduction of children increases. I don't know if you've ever seen the stats on that, but it, it's kind of like a flat line until you get to September, October, and then it just peaks. And the highest, one of the highest places in the nation where children go missing is in the Washington, D.C. area. Not, not a lot of people know that. But um, children go missing. Why? Sexual exploitation, child sacrifice. 
and it goes on and it's always gone on but that was that valley and so the, and whenever um whenever israel came back into the land there was no longer this statue all that stuff had been torn down but it was it was the trash pile and it's it was so bad and polluted that they had to continually keep a fire going in it so that no diseases would rise so there was just a continual burning so when the lord spoke this and he said when you say thou fool you're in danger of hellfire they knew they're talking the lord is talking about a fire that does not extinguish a fire that never goes out that's exactly what the lord he wasn't when he said hell he was not meaning darkness or separation i know that a lot of people use that for hell but he what he meant was fire that never burns out he actually goes in further later on in the bible he says that it's unquenchable it's unquenchable the worm dies not so we're, we're talking about an eternal value of pain and suffering that never ever ends that's the hell he's talking about and you mean to you mean to say i don't i don't maybe you're not a murderer maybe you just murder from the heart it's a dangerous place to be especially as a child of god when we've been called to love one another and we've been called to forgive one another and we've been called to pray for one another and we've been called to encourage one another bear one another's burdens We've been called to, 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 to help one another, not hinder one another. So whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now let's, let's get these last, uh, these last two verses and then, well, three. Let's go to verse 27. He said, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Now let's, let's break this down real quick because um, ne next time we're going to get into the adultery part of it, which is very important. But notice what he said. That somebody bringing a, a gift to the altar, best not give it when they got aught with another brother. Do you know why? you know why? Because God is not so much interested in, 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 in the sacrifice as he is in obedience. Y'all remember that from Samuel? God would so much rather us bring an obedient heart rather than a gift. Because when you've got aught with a brother, how many of y'all ever had a sinking feeling in your heart? How many of you ever had, you know, that animosity with somebody and you just felt bad? You felt deep down in your heart. It was just kind of something's not right. God wants you to get that right. If possible, if at all possible, get it right. You know what? They may not, they may not be where you're at. They may not live where you are. They may not even be alive anymore. But you've got to go to God and get that off. You've got to find forgiveness for that. 
before you begin moving forward. That's what he's saying. He said, if you go and you're bringing a gift to, to the altar and you've got an issue with another brother, make sure you get that issue settled. It's better for you to get up and go get that issue right than to give that gift at the altar. God would so much rather us be obedient than to bring a sacrifice. It's an amazing thing, but what that shows you is God's not interested in empty, heartless worship. That's what that shows you. If God wanted your empty, heartless worship, he wouldn't care about that. If, if, if you've got issue with the brother and you come to the altar, you know where half of your heart is? Not at the altar. You're, half of your heart's on, on the issue, especially when you're the one getting hurt. But the Lord would, would so much rather you bring a whole heart to him than a heartless gift when your mind and your heart are somewhere else. And that's why it's so important whenever we come into the house of the Lord that we let go of those things. If you've got, we, we do that before we take communion, right? We don't take communion unworthily. Y'all remember that? We don't take communion unworthily. Why? Because God doesn't want that heartless worship. God wants us to be whole and complete. And the only place you can find that forgiveness is at the feet of Jesus. But there's times in our lives when there's an outworking of it, you might have an issue with somebody else. God wants you to settle that issue. God wants you to settle that issue. But a lot of times we just kind of push it down, right? Well, I'll forgive them whenever they say they're sorry. I'll let it go when they let it go. I'll be nice to them when they're nice to me. I'll stop talking about them when they stop talking about me. I'll stop parking in their spot when they stop parking in mine. I'll stop doing this when they stop doing. What is that? What is that, right? And, and, and the sad reality is this happens not only in the church world, but it happens in churches. It happens in churches, amen? And it's a sad reality, but uh, we have to face it. So, you know, gifts are either... Um, Whenever you bring a gift to God, it's either you're either bringing it out of a sense of duty or you're out of a sense of love. God wants you to come to those altars and give those gifts out of love, out of obedience, not out of duty. How many of you remember in, in like your relationships with somebody and, and, and somebody did an act of kindness for you, right? How many of you remember those times? But what about when they said, well, I knew I had to. It didn't mean as much, did it? For instance, you may or may not can relate, but if you have more than one kid, you can, right? Tell your brother you're sorry. Sorry. They were forced to do it, right? You know it didn't mean nothing, right? It didn't mean nothing to them. They were forced to do it. They did it out of duty. Why? Because if not, mom or dad's going to whoop me. I know, it, I know you're not supposed to whoop your kids these days, but, you know, but I better do it or I'm going to get a whooping. So, sorry, but it's not from the heart. How many of you know it's so much better when somebody does something from the heart? Well, it's the same way when you bring a work, when you worship the Lord, 
When, when, you, when you go to the altar before God, when you bring a sacrifice of praise to God, God doesn't want you to do, well, well God, it's Wednesday. I, I better go to church. Pastor's going to text me or call me or I know you want me to be. Uh, here I am, God. Move me if you can. Move me if you can. Here I am, you know, grouch, but I'm here, right? Which is totally different than... Lord, here I am to love on you. Here I am, Lord, to love on you. Here I am, I'm coming into the courts with thanksgiving in my heart. Oh, it's another day to worship the Lord. Totally different, totally different, and that's what the Lord's looking for. So it's, it's not, I just wanted to pick that up in this because he's saying, you know, when you have an issue with somebody, you better make sure you get it right before you bring it. Why, though? Because God doesn't want heartless worship. He doesn't want that, 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 well, I know I got to do this, God. I don't want to do it, but I know I got to do it. I'd rather come from the heart. I'd rather come from the heart. It's a big difference. And you might say, well, there's times, Brother Kenny, there's times when I don't feel like doing it. That's when you need to lean on the Spirit. That's when you need to say, Lord, help me. Don't you remember when we, one of the greatest prayers, we looked down on it, but one of those guys, help, Lord, my unbelief. One of the disciples, Lord, help my unbelief. Sometimes you need to ask the Lord for help. I know you're self-sufficient. I know you can push the buttons on the microwave and push the gas pedal and peel out. You can do it all. But sometimes you need to ask the Lord for help. Sometimes you need to ask the Lord for help. You say, Lord, I can't do this in and of myself. God's saying, finally, finally, that's when you're beginning to get humble. That's when you're beginning to walk in humility. And when you begin to walk in humility, God can do great things through your life. When you come to him in a, with a broken and contrite heart, when you come in humility to God, God through the spirit can do amazing things through you. But as, as long as you stay proud and here I am, I know I have to be here, so I'm here, then it's a totally different deal. You know, some people go to church because if they don't go to church, they don't get a check mark on the attendance. And if they don't get a check mark on the attendance, they can't vote. And if they can't vote, they can't become an officer. And they can't become an officer, they don't have control over something. Some people only come to church for those reasons. I'm here because I have to be here. Now, they don't say it like that, but that's... But other people go, other people may go because they want to draw near to God. Other people may come to... Wednesday night Bible study because they want to know more about God. The, the word of God is anointed and God can speak through his word, amen, to a humble heart, a seeking heart. Didn't the Lord say, when you, when, when you casually look for me, you'll find me? No, he didn't say that, did he? Did he say, when you forget about me, you'll find me? When you serve me out of a sense of a duty, you'll find me? He said, when you seek me with what? Half a heart? A whole heart. When you seek me with all your heart, right? Then you'll find me. That's when you'll find God. When you bring the whole heart to him. So whenever you have those issues with another brother or another sister, you've got to resolve them. Now, we didn't get to the second part, which is, you know, settling it along the way. And there's a correlation in there. There's a correlation in there. Because if you don't settle it in time, judgment might hit you. But, but here's, here's, the, here's the awesome thing. Because God wants us to settle it so that we can bring a whole heart to him in worship. 
not a half a heart. Because God, as much as, as much as you need God, God wants to bless you. As much as you need the Spirit of God helping you, God wants to fill you with his Spirit. As, as, as much as you want to, God wants to, but he needs you to be humble, needs you to have humility, amen? Let the ego of pride go. Let those trespasses that people have against you go so that God can fill you. But God is, is waiting on us sometimes to let those issues go, bring ourselves to him, then God can do something in your life. But a lot of times we're too, we're too caught up in what somebody did to us or hating somebody or, you know, this, that, or the other, and we only come to the Lord out of duty and not out of love. It's a big difference, a big difference. You know, it, it's, it's like um, relationships. I'm closing. It's like relationships. If, if, I, if I bought my wife flowers, right? Bought my wife flowers. Well, why'd you buy me flowers? Well, I know I have to. It's our anniversary. I know I have to. That don't mean nothing to her, did it? I wasted my money. In fact, I worsened the whole situation. What do you think? I mean, do you think the relationship with us and the Lord's different? Why are you singing those worship songs? Because I have to. Pastor told me to stand up and sing. Here I'm singing. Why'd you open your Bible? Pastor told me to. Here I'm. You see the difference? And, and, and yet, we in our own relationships, we would be like, man, that guy's nuts. He told his wife he only bought her flowers because he had to. Now, some guys may feel like that. Some guys may feel, some guys may be like, if I don't buy my wife flowers, I'm going to get whooped. I'm going to, you know, I'm, it's going to be in for me. But you know what? When it comes to the Lord, we should serve the Lord not out of duty, but out of love, out of love and devotion for him. And when that, be, when that love and devotion begins to wane, we need to go to that altar. We, we need to do like the Lord said in Revelation, return to your first love. You, you, you should have, it, you, you saw that he said, warning, 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 danger, 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 red light. You start hating somebody, you start talking bad about them, you start cutting them up with your words, you're in danger. And when you find in your own self that you're bringing heartless sacrifices to God, same thing, same thing. God would rather you go get those issues settled, whatever the issue is, and then come to him with a whole heart. That's why he said, uh, go back to your first love. Return to your first love. And he, he should be your first love. Amen? Amen. Anybody want to add to that before we close? Question or comment or add to it?